Hello, this is Chad Walls, and you are listening to the Building Walls Podcast. All right, Mr. Dayton, we have episode 16 here of the Building Walls Podcast. Building Walls. It's your time to shine, my friend. The weekly rant. Uh, before you start this off, I just want to share a few things. One, if you guys listen to us, you like us, uh, share what we got going on here. We would definitely appreciate it. Um, and secondly, we always appreciate feedback, comments, any questions, answers anyone wants to come at us with. We definitely encourage that and appreciate that. Um, and it's super funny, I think, that we do this weekly rant. I was watching another podcast, or I guess you can't watch a podcast, but they were doing it through a, a, a video cast, whatever. And the the weekly rant portion that we do every week, they actually do at the end. So whatever speaker or whatever uh, personality that this person has on their show at the very end, uh, they turn it over to them and they're like, hey, so, so-and-so, we do this every episode. Now it's your time to shine. We're going to, I think they call it a, like a spotlight moment and they get a few minutes to talk about whatever they want to talk about it. I thought that was pretty funny. So, so we just lead with that. <laughs> exactly. Because so, we are leaders, not followers. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right it's your time to shine my man all right well i'm going to take a different uh angle today my man i am not going to get too heavy or too crazy i'm not going to talk about the fact that our country has fallen in on itself i'm not going to talk about chicago and all the chaos that's in chicago i'm not going to talk about defunding the police you know what i'm going to talk about star wars and the travesty that is episodes four, five, and six, and how they need to do a reboot. Honest to God, people, it'll be okay. Like, we have this ideology. It's, it's almost become this comical thing that we have in our society today where these things are supposedly sacred, but then they're not really sacred, and they shouldn't be sacred. We'll tear down statues of our history, but we can't just tear down four, five, and six, you know, the New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Why? Because there's crazy people out there who are like, no, that's my childhood. That was so amazing. Oh, my God. Yeah, Luke made out with his sister. Spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> you know, and by the way, those movies, if you go back and watch them, people are like, oh, I hated the prequels. I hated one, two, and three. I hated the, the latest one, seven, eight, nine. Are you kidding? Those are actually real movies. Those are amazing. Maybe the storytelling could be a little bit better. Sure. Like most movies we can pick apart. But for the love of all that's holy, can we just agree we need a reboot? Maybe have a new spin. You've got the Star Wars universe now. I mean, how many times have they done Batman? How many different Batmans have there been? You know, there could be another Luke Skywalker. How about a different Han Solo? There's an idea. I mean, after all, we all know that Hollywood doesn't come up with anything new anyway. They just tell the same old stories over and over again. That's because the kids like it because it's four kids oh i was going like the you know pedophilia and stuff but uh, whatever, whatever. <laughs> that. i've got my tropical island in the background it is good you know i do want to mention i think that i like four or five and six i like seven eight nine i think one two and three number three is definitely pretty good but it's like some of those introduced characters in there you know jar jar banks is really just off the, off the wall and uh I was <clears throat> reading something and my, me and my brother were talking about. So I guess George Lucas, when he wrote one, two, and three, it was super sci-fi and far-fetched. And his 
his wife allegedly would review all of his scripts and stuff. And she helped four, 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 five, and six along. Uh, and one, two, and three, she changed quite a bit because she was like, George, if you put this stuff into a movie, like it's going to be so whack, people are not going to like it. So <clears throat> he was, I guess, like really radical and sci-fi in terms of what we know of as the movie and his and his wife had to go back and review the scripts from what I understand to make it not so wild and wacky. Right. But I think that's kind of interesting. But I'm with you, man. There's what hundred different Batman movies from different universes, this DC universe and this DC universe and Dark Batman and all this. Yeah. Just make exactly. the Dark Knight movies more relevant. Those are the best <laughs> in my opinion. Amen. So there it is. That's my thoughts for the week. That's good stuff. Uh, so to get into it here, kind of what I was thinking is I wanted to take some of the things that we talk about and really tie it together because as I was thinking about different things, it really started to make sense um, and kind of where we're going about opportunity. And the first thing I want to talk about is what is the American dream? And if you do a quick Google search of what is the American dream, according to the dictionary, it states the ideal by which equality of opportunity is available to any American along the highest aspirations and goals to be achieved. So we have the equality of opportunity, right? Not the equality of income. That's what the American dream is. That's why people come to America. And Chris, as you were talking about uh, a couple weeks ago, when we we're talking about wealth and new wealth and things like, like that is, you know, people say that they want opportunity of outcome because that's not available. You know, everyone doesn't have the same opportunity. Well, go to Mexico. Go to a country in Africa. Go to South America. Go to Russia. Go to China. I heard the Sudan is lovely this time. <laughs> you know, go, go to some of these countries where, I mean, China is actually interesting, right? It's communist, but they have sort of a free market going on there. Cause even though they practice communism, it's not totally socialism. So people come to America for that freedom, for that equality of the opportunity and that's why we have people, you know, it's not the Vanderbilts and JP Morgan who are still the richest people in the world, right? It's Jeff Bezos. And as we get into it here, let me ask you first, I'll give my take. <clears throat> What's your take on Jeff Bezos being so rich? Should he give some of that money back? Should he pay his people more? Um, the one thing I have to say is there's a reason that he's so rich, just so you know, he gives products to just about everyone in the world. Um, or in the U.S. at least, as far as I know. And he employs thousands of people. His idea that he started in a garage or his basement, wherever it was, he now employs thousands of people. And all of his wealth isn't liquid cash. It's tied up in the value of Amazon as well. Well, What's your I, I think a lot of people don't really actually understand what Amazon did. Uh, he, he didn't just come up with an idea or a product or a service. He changed fundamentally an entire... Uh, social structure of how we do things. And in mm -hmm. this case, what we're talking about is how we purchase our goods. 
he created a entire new platform for home delivery. And in a speedy enough way uh, that, that it got adopted. You know, there's always the early adopters and anytime you introduce something into a marketplace, you've got your, your innovators, your uh, early adopters, then you have your kind of, it starts to come on mainstream and then you have your late adapters and that's when you hit, you know, market saturation. Uh, and I think everybody on the planet, you know, or like around here has Amazon, Amazon Prime. And now a pandemic is going to exacerbate that. And, you know, when you start limiting what people can do to go out and do what they've traditionally always done, they still need to get goods and services. They still need to get stuff. And so, and open the door, walk in Amazon, and now you've got a $3,000, you know, stock uh, and evaluation that's through the roof and making money hand over fist because he didn't just change, he changed the entire distribution channel. And that's not easily done. Right, so I mean, you know, is it, should he pay his, do you think he should pay his uh, workers more? Do you think that his net worth and everything is all uh, the way it should be, so to speak, that he's you know, I mean, rightfully Car earned that? He has rightfully earned that. The, the question you're asking is, <laughs> at what point is enough enough? You know, you, when you can do whatever you want at any time for anything, uh, you know, wake up and literally, what do you feel like doing? You want to go fly around in circles on a plane today? Good. Okay. You want to go to the moon? Could probably do that. You want to go get a yacht and go cruise around? Yep. There's nothing that he can't do, uh, essentially. I mean, he's probably got more net worth. We should look up and see, like, his net worth. Uh, and compare it to the world economic stage, and like, is he worth more than say Brazil? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, what country rank is <laughs> Jeff Bezos? And uh, you know, the cloud can he start having his own policies at some point? Uh, but you look at Apple. Apple is you know a two trillion dollar company. Two trillion dollars. Right, and the only reason, by the way, we're not talking about. Uh what's his name, Steve uh, Jobs, is because Steve Jobs is dead, right? I mean, that's probably why Steve Jobs isn't included in this conversation. And part but, of I mean, that... He, he created, you know, and that's, you think about what I just said about Amazon. Uh, Apple did the same thing. They right. changed the way that we get our media. Right, that we consume information. And content. Or, and that we communicate, yeah. Um, and part of that, you know... A very interesting thing you said is the net worth part and you know part of what is I, I was alluding to is what, whatever billion he's worth let's say it's 50 billion whatever it is is that Jeff Bezos doesn't have 50 billion dollars in liquid cash sitting in a bank account right right it's sitting in investments and that investment is Amazon right that's what he put his time money and effort to when it was out of his garage or out of his basement. So what he built, he rightfully earned because that's part of the American dream, right? And that's why these families like the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers and the Morgans, they don't stay on top forever because there's always going to be an ever evolving and changing landscape of the world. And Jeff Bezos tapped into that, right? Steve Jobs tapped into that. So yep. doing things by train like, is no longer... About Number think one. about Ford. 
Ford Motor Company back right. in the day. Henry Ford, same way. Changed, they changed the way that humanity travels. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a massive thing in industry whenever you can create that. That's almost how I kind of feel that way about EXP Realty. You know, being at that brokerage, Ooh. I feel like that's Plug. changing the way. Yeah, right. I do, though, feel like that's changing the way that real estate as a career is done. It's a different platform. It's a, it's a different paradigm. Uh, and I think you're starting to see that traction now with what's happened with through the pandemic, that literally that company was built for this, but it was built, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And then it took a pandemic for people to go, oh, yeah. you, can, you can actually use leverage technology and then still have a career and still buy and sell homes. Uh, you know, it's, it's impressive. Right. And I don't want to, you know, I wasn't going to say we don't promote or endorse any products like that, but EXP Realty, I will 100% endorse and support. Uh, I know that you're a part of EX, EXP. So let's push it. If you're thinking about buying a home, <laughs> live in Michigan, Christopher Dayton, his number is 734-something. Some, um, reply <laughs> to our podcast and he will get you a house or he will sell your house at the exact dollar amount that it should sell for. Right. So what were right. the numbers Back. before? Let's just, let's just go on with this plug really quick. I think you like pulled data from the amount that you sold houses for and it was like like the average house sells for 94% of value, but the houses that you sell were like 99.4% of their value or of their listing yeah. price. Yeah. That's a, it's a double-edged sword. You got to know how to price the property right. And in timing in the market right now, it's a little easier uh, to get full asking price if you have any marketing savvy at all. Um, uh, but, you know, getting above that and, and creating demand that at the end of the day, why you hire a real estate agent if you're trying to sell your home. The reason you do that is because we can create more demand in a shorter period of time than an individual person can on their own. They don't have the tools. They don't have the systems. They don't have that. And at the end of the day, economics 101 is higher demand, low supply equals higher price. Uh, so if you dilute the demand, demand curve, yeah, if you dilute the demand over a period of time, so your time and your demand goes down, then your price goes down. So yeah. how's the housing market looking right now with all the COVID stuff going on? It's pretty good. I mean, here's the thing, Chad, uh, even with, let's talk about the economy right now and tie it back into the American dream, because I think a lot of people want wealth. They want to create wealth. They want to have options and buying a home is actually a great way to do that and start that. I, I, I saw a post the other day that someone said, uh, you know, if I'm, what did it say? It said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, if I'm uh, renting a home, shouldn't I be part owner because I'm paying the mortgage? <laughs> and it's like, no. Right, because no, if you stop paying your rent, the owner is still responsible for paying the mortgage, not the other way around. Yeah, and if you want to own, then feel free to go sign your name on the line and take on that responsibility. Yeah, stop being a schlep and stash some money away. And now the interesting part is what I said is I said, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, because someone wrote, well, it's better to be a renter. And I said, well, I mean, it depends on what lens you're looking through. If you're looking to create wealth, then you have zero chance of ever tapping into the equity of that home 
and the increased value of that asset over a period of time uh, if you're a renter. That goes solely to the homeowner. Whoever owns the home, the value goes up. If they buy, so if a landlord buys a home or someone buys a home at $100,000, right, and they rent it out, that renter's paying you know, the mortgage, yes, but let's say in 10 years, now that home is now worth 125,000. Let's just say that it went up $25,000, right? That doesn't go to the renter. That goes to the homeowner, the person who bought the home. They're the ones that get that equity. And so just that alone, knowing right now that mortgage rates, because the 10-year the treasury yield is so low right now, and what's happening in mortgage rates you can actually go purchase a home and have a, a 30 year fixed mortgage where your payment stays the same for the next 30 years. And Chad, get this, it's under 3%. Yeah, it's super low. It's under, now perspective for people who are like not financially tied in, like most of, you know, like I am or like you are, or we, what we pay, maybe you don't know, but historically speaking, a good, a good average rate seven and a half seven and a half percent right it's funny normal that's normal <clears throat> that's that's historic over the whole time that's normal and people go well, i would never pay seven and a half i know because right now it's under three right but people were paying 16 percent back in the 70s and 80s yeah our parents 19 percent, 20 percent. yeah it's a uh, people go well i don't know the role of government and how they can uh you know play a role in the economy well i'll tell you how Check out Jimmy Carter and his his you know administration policies and what we had with inflation, uh, and and yeah, people were buying homes with credit cards essentially with nineteen percent. Yeah, it's outrageous. Nineteen eighty. Go look it up. Don't trust me. Don't say, oh wow, he really knows the stuff. Go fact check me, and go back and look at that. But what it means today is that interest rates are so low that you can actually get into a home. A lot of people can get in a home, and then they can start building that equity. They can start building that asset. They have that backing them and that creates more wealth. That helps chase the American dream of being able to do and have opportunity to go do the things they want. Maybe you get a home, maybe you, you know, work a job, maybe you, uh, you know, plug away for four or five, six years, but then you take out an equity line that you borrow against your home to go start a business because you're passionate about something. Maybe you're passionate about lawn care and you want to start up a, a landscaping company, you need money to buy trucks and equipment. You can do that if you have bought a home. So there's a lot of leverage there and how home ownership plays a big part in the American dream. Mm -hmm. I'm with you there. That, that's some good stuff, Chris, from the old EXP realtor, Christopher Dayton. <laughs> Dayton group of realtors. If you live wow. in Michigan, hit them up. Hell, if you live anywhere, I, I can, I, actually I can help them anywhere, Chad. Yeah, because I have connections. We actually have connections all across the country. We're a national brokerage, publicly traded on the Nasdaq. EXPI is the stock symbol. Go ahead and check it out. And I'm not getting paid any endorsements from Christopher Dayton on this, just so you guys know. Um, I, I thought you paid me. <laughs> no? Oh, got it. Da, 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 da. So you know, getting back to the American dream and the economy, and I mentioned it, I think the last podcast, but there's a few things I want to point out is that you know, all this media hype's going on with COVID and George Floyd stuff. And I don't think a lot of people know that I think it was March 16th was one of the biggest stock market crashes in 
in the last 40 years or something like that. That's 100 years. So people don't realize that, right? The stock market had a massive crash, like the biggest loss in a single period of time, which was the couple days, March 16th, March 17th. That is a, you know, hasn't happened in, in, in years, right? And stuff like that is, is what cripples the economy and cripples the American dream because then it pulls opportunity from people, right? Because then there's, there's typically not as much capital that people are willing to invest. There's not as much money that banks are willing to invest, you know, and looking at equality of opportunity. One thing that I want to point out is I think there's a huge, it's a huge mindset thing, right? And we talked about 80, 20 rule and all this stuff. And it's a huge mindset thing in terms of my thought is always, if one person can do something, one, one person period, I don't care if they're white, black, orange, purple, blue, green, but if one person can do it, I can do it. That doesn't mean I'm supposed to do it or that I want to go do it. But if one person can do it, I know that I now have the opportunity to go do it, that it can be done, that I have the same opportunity as what they had. It's just figuring out what, what would my path be to that, whether it's in sports, whether it's in business, whether it's in academics, whatever it is. And I think that's where we see some drop off is people don't understand or they don't have the same mindset, right? They want to play the victim card and they want to say, well, you know, if there's 20 steps to get this done and they started off at step five, but I'm at step one, well, that's not fair, right? I should have someone give me money or give me resources to put me at step five. What are your thoughts on that, Chris? Have you ever played Monopoly? Oh, yeah. I mean, most people probably play Monopoly. Sure. I like it, too. But it's literally like there's there's ways to win. Do you know how to win in Monopoly? Do you mean in terms yeah. of being like, the only one left well, who has money on the properties and stuff? Correct. You've, you've pushed everybody. So there's two parts. There's offense and defense. Mm. Right? You're going to play this game. In, in Monopoly, the offensive part is the acquisition of property, and that's revenue streams. You got to create revenue streams for you as the player. When people land on your properties, you collect the money. But then also, there's a defensive part to it where sometimes you buy a property that you don't really need, but it's to block somebody else from being able to outproduce you. Right. See, nobody likes the defense part. That's where it ends family relationships. And we've had massive, everybody jokes about that, like Monopoly, ruining family uh, gathering since 1932 or whatever uh, the game is, because nobody likes the defense part of it. And they feel offended. They're offended. So Chad, here's the scenario. I've got a Monopoly. I got all the Reds, right? I got Illinois, Indiana, and Kentucky. I start building houses on it. You don't have a monopoly yet, but you actually have uh, the, the, you have two yellows. All right. You've got Marvin Gardens and Vetner. Are you, you looking at it? these right now? Like, how no. do you remember these? I know. <laughs> I, I went to McDonald's a lot as a kid. <laughs> uh, but you need Atlantic, right? To get your monopoly so that you can compete. You're, we go around the, the board and, oh, you're coming up on Atlantic. Oh, you missed it. I'm coming up on Atlantic. I missed it. We go around a couple more times, and then it happens. 
I land on Atlantic. I don't need to buy it. I've already got a monopoly. I've already got the Reds. I've already built them up. I'm going to be able to create revenue. I don't need it. But what do I do? I buy the Atlantic. You know why? Because now you can't build on it. You can't build houses. You can't create enough income opportunities for you to put me out. And, and you're offended. You're like, no, no, don't buy that, dude. You don't, come on. And then you want to trade. And then the players go, well, I'll trade you. I'll trade you. And they want to do an equal trade as if somehow that's fair because they're not understanding the situation that I'm already ahead. Right? So you can kind of see where I'm going with this in this analogy. Our society today does not like the fact that throughout the history of time, we have people who have created businesses and opportunities and blocked other people out. Right. Who have take offense who, to that. Who have made good and smart decisions throughout their life that's right. led them to this point. Because they're going to win. They want to win. They want to win for them. And it, and literally, their job is not for you to win. And that is the balance. It's because now morality and humanity sticks in and people go, well, everyone should win. We should all have rights to health care. We should we all should get all trophies. Have rights. We should all get trophies. We should all get basic needs. We should all be fed. We should all, you know, it's like, and when does that stop? Does everybody get filet mignon or does everybody get a loaf of bread? What, what is it? Yeah. So let me tell you this. I think this is a really good, uh, what is it? Anecdote or a, or a, a story to tie to it that came to me uh, a few years ago. I was talking with a pastor and we kind of got in a conversation about politics and stuff and left and right. And one of the things that I said is, you know, it all comes down to, people right it's not government it's not institutions it's not systems and one of the stories that i pointed out and that we were discussing was so when jesus fed was it the five thousand people right he didn't go to other people and take their their uh, bread and their fish no he created himself and then gave out of his own storage right so again, he did not go to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and other people in the world and round up a ton of bread and a ton of fish and say, these people are starving. I'm taking from you because they deserve to be fed. You have plenty of bread, you have plenty of fish, and they deserve to be fed. So I'm going to take from you and give to them. No, he created himself. Now, of course, that's a totally different aspect, right? When we talk about the, uh, you know, doing a godlike thing in creating these, this bread and fish from something, you know, he had just a few loaves and a few pieces of fish and he created out of it. But the whole point is, right, he didn't go at other people. He created himself because that's what it's all about, right? It's, it's, it's not about taking from other people and making the outcome the same from the opportunity that one person took advantage of and built up. It's about finding where you fit into this equation, right? What opportunity is it that you can go create wealth from and money from? And it's not about, you know, everyone in the world being a millionaire or, or, or uh, everyone being a billionaire, right? There's plenty of people out there who make $30,000 a year and their household makes $55,000 a year, which is about the average median uh, income from households in America. The last I checked, which is like a year ago, I'll be honest. So 
but I know that number hasn't changed drastically. So, you know, there's a, a lot of people living in that area and they're fine with that. They live their life well from that. Um, but then there's a lot of people too who make three and 400,000, right? And live really good lives. So it's not about making millions of dollars, right? You don't need to jump into this, this opportunity road and try to figure out where your path path is and your path leads and look to be a millionaire. Now you can, if that's what you want to do. And if that's where, where um, it leads you. But if you're ever upset at something, if you ever don't like the way that something runs, then put yourself in that picture and change it, change it yourself, right? Don't ask someone else to do it for you. Don't ask the government to step in and do it for you. And one of the things that leads me to that I want to talk about, and this is something, so I just Googled uh, crazy political proposal ideas. <laughs> and I wasn't expecting, I mean, I wasn't expecting to get anything, whether it was on the right, on the left. Um, I mean, everyone knows a lot of this stuff's talked about so much. I think when we mention some of those things, you're going to understand where it, where it, where it comes from, but I don't care where it comes from. I just want to talk about, you know, get in depth on some of these things a little more and talk about where it, what can really happen with this stuff. So we're going through all those points. No, no, no. Okay. Just, I mean, you know, the first three are all around similar thing or the two of them are. So the one thing is, or that I want to talk about is making higher education tuition free, right? If we're in this rat rat race of, we don't have enough skilled labor, we need more skilled labor. And the only way to do that is to educate them, to put them through higher education. But the issue with that going through a higher education costs tens of thousands of dollars, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. So what are your thoughts on that making higher education tuition free? And how do you think, that that impacts the economy and different things. Chad, what's the meaning of life? Oof. <laughs> now this is going to be a philosophical argument, I guess. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, you don't have to answer that because everybody answers that for themselves. Sure. But what are, you know, what are we doing day to day? Are you individualistic just trying to survive? You're just trying to eat and consume calories on a daily basis long enough to stay alive? I love alive? to eat and consume calories like us all and uh but then what are you doing as a group like wh why why do anything what are we building what are we trying to accomplish are we working together as a, a community are we working together as a state as, you know as a country we're sending people to the moon uh we're trying to explore and expand and understand more uh and you got into these like what are you doing and that starts to answer the question like who should be educated like what at what point like is it incumbent on the individual to become educated versus us as a group we want to have public education you know and we already have that we have public education we teach our citizens of the united states from kindergarten through 12th grade it's public education and now the proposal is well that's not good enough we need more we need higher education more specialty, you know, where, that's where you get into the specialties when you go to college, you, you know, background in economics, or you go into medicine, or you go into engineering, or you go into music and art and history. You know, there's, there's a lot of different pathways. But at the end of the day, the core root question still answer is still unanswered, which is, what are we trying to accomplish? 
Right. And I think some of the things that you can get into when you look at tuition free stuff, you talked about the K through 12 education is uh, indubitably there's going to be an increase in taxes. So it has to be, how do you fund? I mean, the thousands of kids, I mean, the hundreds of thousands of kids probably that go to college every year and it costs them tens of thousands of dollars, right? Yeah. That's a, that's a, a tall or a bill that's going to keep stacking on itself and is going to get really large, really, really fast. And then the other thing is that K through 12 education, because it's pub publicly funded, whatever the public in terms of the government that controls this stuff says you have to do and teach, you have to do and teach, right? So when higher education and you get into the specialty stuff, if that becomes tuition free, my thought is, what happens if Chris says, I want to become a doctor? Yeah, Chris, but, you know, you took tests and stuff. We think you're going to be better uh, as a janitor. So, Chris, we're going to actually going to – I know this is super drastic, right? But, Chris, we're going to send you to school to become the best darn janitor that you want to be. And you're like, yeah, but my passion isn't to become a janitor. I don't want to be a janitor. I, I, I want to be a doctor. Yeah, but, Chris, we are paying for it. So, yeah. according to your test and your cognitive test and all this stuff, you're not going to be a very good doctor, but you're going to be a really good janitor. So we actually are going to pay for you to become a janitor. And if you want to be a doctor, well, then you can pay for it yourself. Right. You're, hi you're highlighting uh, a hybrid model between uh, communism, which is what that is, a state-sponsored uh, career path, and capitalism, free market will decide whether or not I'm a good doctor or I'm a good janitor. And then I have to live right. with the consequences of that. You know, and I think that one plug I, I want to throw in here is, you know, whatever you're doing in life, whether you choose to be a janitor or a doctor or whatever it is, if you're going to do it, you better push to be the best darn janitor that you can be. Because that's how you're going to equalize yourself in this, in this game, right? At some point, somewhere, somebody's going to recognize you and for what you're worth. And that's how you put yourself up in the playing field, right? You don't put yourself up in the playing field by skipping out on work, sk skipping out on school because you want to tear down statues and riot or just because you want to take a break for a day or anything like that. That's what hinders your equality of opportunity, and as far as I know, like we were first chatting about is, and you've said it before, it, if there's such inequality in this country, why are people moving to America for opportunity versus moving out of America? Well, and, and if you're so disgruntled, why are you still here? Right. Make a change for yourself. You know, we want to empower uh, you, know, you to move on you're in a bad situation just the same as we would empower you know uh, a domestic violence situation where we wouldn't want anyone to stay in a relationship if they were being physically abused or mentally abused or emotionally abused if you feel that way here living in america then we i would encourage you to uh find a new place nobody's keeping you here All right and something um i was just thinking about as you talked about you know doing that and and different uh, things such as communism. Um, I think that's something that I really agree with that I feel like a lot of people don't know about or misunderstand is the relationship between socialism 
and and uh, communism, right? So socialism is really used as the antithesis to capitalism. So socialism is really a term to describe economic behavior, whereas communism is political behavior, right? Just like capitalism and Republicans are not the same. Capitalism and Democrats aren't the same. Socialism and communists aren't exactly the same, right? There's one talks about the economy, one talks about the the uh, political stature of things. And the reason I say is because if you look at China, they're communists, right? Everyone knows it is the CCP, the communists or the Chinese Communist Party. But they have sort of like a quasi capitalist, socialistic economy where they allow the free market stuff, the trading of goods, they allow other businesses to come in there and to use their labor force. So it's very interesting. And that's just something that I want to point out because I feel like it's usually confused that socialism is not communism and vice versa, but they often go hand in hand. And this is what socialism is as a whole. So first, you know, the good and bad of socialism. Ideally, wouldn't it be fantastic if just everyone had enough money to eat, everyone had enough money to do what they wanted to do, all wealth was distributed equally, whatever equally means, right? Um, as we interpret things, um, wouldn't that be great if no one ever starved in the world, right? If there was wells all around Africa where people could get the clean, the clean water from because we distributed that equally and everything was just sunshine and rainbows. Um, but the fact of the matter is when people get involved, there's still a political party or political people in politics that run these things, right? That oversee these things. And as soon as someone starts to distribute wealth like that equally, then they also have control over other things like we see in the European countries where I want, a, you know, elective surgery for my kid because he could, could die and the government says, ah, hold on, not going to happen. So what's your take on some of that as, you know, in terms of socialism, the good and the bad of it? Well, I mean, we have socialistic policies in the United sure. States. That's, uh, you know, uh, we have police force. That's a socialism thing. It was a shared uh, ideology that we should have law and order. Uh, we should have uh, the education. We, we have the, you know, that's a socialistic thing. We have social security that we've decided we're going to pay into that we allow our um, elderly to have, uh, you know, income, you know, into their, you know, when their production days are over, so to speak. So I think by and large, it's just a matter of when does that stop? So you, you're always going to have some aspect of it. You should. And that's why the pendulum swings between right and left based sure. on what's going on. And, and, and there's a lot of factors for that, but I mean, covered a lot of ground here my man there's a lot that uh, anybody who listens to this podcast is gonna be like wow i'm gonna have to go back and re-listen to that because uh there's a lot there <laughs> yeah so <clears throat> there's one more thing that i think is interesting um and one of these points and it's approaching abortion as population control yeah that's so okay so for sure and i saw that too and i'm I'm pissed that you brought that up right now. <laughs> so, so, so we're going to wrap it up with this because um, I took a class in college that was, that was uh, ecology. 
and it talks about the population of deer in specific areas that there was studies that was done right and there's i forget what the line is but there's always a certain line which would be the ideal population limit um, because what happens when when the population of deer goes above this line uh you know wolves start to eat more of the pack uh, disease is introduced and into the deer community starvation is introduced because there's not enough food to go around because it's an overabundance in the specific area of of a deer and then when you go under the line you know what happens is all of a sudden you start to see you know a quick spike from there you know and things start start to go up but from under under the line you don't see as much starvation um you don't see um you know as as many deer being killed by predators and stuff like that because now there's uh, there's a low population in that in that specific area and there becomes an abundance of food right and then maybe you see wolves die off right because they're not able to eat as much deer or whatever it is in that in that area so what's your take on some of this because it's pretty interesting that if you take that same scenario right and we apply it to the human race i feel like there's some stark similarities where as population increases we continue to see more disease introduced to the world right and you know there's some people out there who say well then maybe like china we should limit how many kids you can have right and but i think what the one word that immediately screams in my head is responsibility you know i don't think the deer in your example have a fundamental understanding and intellectual understanding of responsibility when they decide they want to get it on and reproduce. Uh, with it's, just, cat, it's just animal it, instinct. It's just animal instinct. It just happens. Whereas as humans, you know what you're doing when you lay with another to reproduce. You're going to have sex and that's a very deliberate act. That's, nobody wakes up, wakes up and is like, oh wow, I just totally got laid. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, I, I just never happened yeah, to me. Yeah, what happened I guess, last night? Uh, wow. I, uh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, but the, and I think that's the biggest stark difference is uh, as humans, we have a responsibility for our actions and our choices. And it is fundamentally at my core uh, just abhorrent that you could you could snuff out you could you could make a choice in your selfish nature your selfishness to feel good in that moment without fully accepting the uh possibility of procreation and accepting the responsibility and the burden of raising your offspring uh and, and so the the cheap easy way coward way out is to have an abortion uh now as we've talked on the show before, uh, there are other scenarios that are not in that, that, that limelight, but those are sure. the minority. Those are in the vast dramatic minority of scenarios. And we don't, we shouldn't legislate <clears throat> to the exception. We should legislate to the commonality of it. So, uh, but yeah, the responsibility at the end of the day, as humans, we have a responsibility and we have a responsibility to one another. And that's, culminating, if I could sum up everything that we talked about, Jeff Bezos has a responsibility to himself, and then he has a moral obligation to his community, to the people around him. 
Right. And that's, and you know, that's kind of one of the downfalls of capitalism is that again, people are people. And if people who are in Jeff Bezos's position choose not to do what someone else thinks is morally or ethically correct, such as correct. distributing more of his wealth and shame on him. And yeah, I mean, right. we can get into, you know, a philosophical discussion about that. And of course, I think people who do those things, they should do more. But uh, the fact of the matter is, like you said, we shouldn't, we shouldn't legislate those, those things because that gets away from the true beauty of it, so to speak. Amen. Um, all this stuff. And you made a good point with, yeah, you know, I, I don't think deer are thinking about that. You know, you're not going to see Aww. a mama deer and take her to the abortion clinic uh, to keep the population <laughs> from Pop peaking too high above that line. Right. So uh, it's a pretty wild proposal that uh, people would consider abortion as a population control tactic. But I think that people do it because they see they see that there's good at the end of the tunnel from it, right? And it's also in their but eyes. It, but it's also just <clears throat> one thing it, that's in the same vein, the same column, if you will, as uh, creating laws that target certain segments of society that they then jail and lock up, and you're like you're removing those people from society. Sure, sure. So, so I mean, we, I, we could have prison reform in there alongside with abortion reform, right? So. And I just want to, you know, take a step back and play the devil's advocate for a second on that, because I think that some of, you know, whenever, because me and you, we lean a little more to the right. And I think when we see some stuff like this, um, one, it's never fully explained, you know, how often do we get the chance to sit down and discuss those things with, 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 with uh, people. But I think some of this stems from, uh, Chris, is like looking at it of, you know, if that's what we're going to do, use abortion as population control the reason i want to do that is because you know a hundred thousand people are going to die due to disease and other things like that that now get introduced to it versus fifty thousand abortions right. so you know there's definitely other things to think about and look at it uh, but to be honest thinking about that you know my answer to the question would would be is like one we don't know that Right. I mean, there's, right. it's, it's really hard to do human studies uh, and look at some of this stuff. And two, so typically ideas like this would come from the left. So two, if you believe that, you know, 100,000 people are going to die versus 50,000 on abortion. So what you're telling me is that abortion, uh, abortion is taking a life. <laughs> that, my friends, is the difference between playing checkers and chess. We call that <laughs> checkmate. So that's what I think comes very interesting when you look at some of these things. Um, but that is my take on it. Well, I look forward to next week. So Mr. Dayton, I appreciate you as always. I appreciate you, buddy. You're a scholar and a gentleman. Looking forward to seeing you in a couple of days. Yeah. Going to go golfing. Enjoy the capitalistic fruits of our society. As we lift up our hearts, peace be with you. And also with you. <laughs>